Now we're getting back into God's wealth. So we, let's go through. We've been doing these uh, weeks. We started with grow income. Some people aren't making enough. We looked at what's a biblical approach, a biblical approach to earning more money. Um, we looked at finding contentment. We looked at eliminating debt. Now, now we're looking at uh, manage expense today. And we've got, uh, we're doing a deep dive here. We're doing eight weeks into the ancient wisdom of the Bible as it relates to money and possessions and our own satisfaction and joy uh, around those things and, and in our pursuit of God. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, and that will come up on the screen, and we have free Bibles as well in the pews, so take it and keep it if you don't have a Bible. Um, Jesus, as I've said each week, Jesus said more about money than he did about prayer and faith combined, and we really need to be people who are confronted with the truth of God's Word about money, because we can really be enslaved to money or mismanage money, and that's what we're going to be looking at um, today. So I think um, some, some stats here for you. I've got four stats for you. 22% of uh, people have self-reported, so it might be more than this, so it's 22% of people have self-reported that they've pulled loans, pulled money out of their retirement in order to cover certain costs that they have. 26% of people are overdrawn in their checking account. Um, 29% of people are behind on their mortgage payments. And only, I think it's only 32% of households operate a budget. We need God's help with this. Let me, before I get into the word here, let me illustrate this uh, by telling you about the, some of you heard this before, about the Tacoma Narrows Bridge of 1940, the bridge collapse of 1940. We've got this picture here that we're going to show of this famous bridge collapse that happened in 1940. I want to illustrate um, finances by uh, uh, talking about this. This bridge cost $7 million to build at the time. I'm sure it would be a lot, lot more today if it was built today. And uh, within the first year of it being constructed, gale force winds blew it down, it destroyed it. And this caused major problems for the surrounding towns. Um, it was obviously massive destruction of property. Um, it caused uh, huge issues. The, the, the insurance uh, mess was a, was a giant tangle of, of, of trouble, of trying to figure out the insurance side of this. Uh, it disconnected this important transportation route that not just for these two towns to get connected, but also it was a military transportation route as well, so it affected that. Um, the salvage operation, operation took a long time, was a big mess. It took a decade to rebuild this bridge and get a functioning, working bridge again. Now, thankfully, no people were killed in, the, in the, the collapse of this bridge, but it was reported that a three-legged dog named Tubby did die as a result of this bridge collapsing, which is sad and also slightly funny if you're not, you know, it depends. All right. Depends what kind of mood you're in. There was an abandoned car that was abandoned on the bridge, and Tubby was trapped in the car, and he passed away as a, as a result. I know it's sad. It's sad. We'll all be sad about it. It is a three-legged dog as well. It's just particularly unfair. Um, so... This bridge collapse is used as an example in engineering schools today about how not to build bridges. Uh, it seems kind of an obvious thing to talk about with this. And so they, they look at what went wrong with the construction of the bridge, but there's a story beneath the, prob the engineering problems. Because a local paper interviewed the lead engineer at the time and asked him, hey, what's, what happened here? What's the deal with this situation? And he said, well, we, when we started off, this project, we had a tried and true um, bridge plan. We had a tested, you know, we built bridges before, we know how to build bridges, we had this tried and true 
blueprint of how to build this bridge, but the people who are pulling the finances, the people who are holding the purse strings, they were making all kinds of different decisions and influencing things, and they ended up controlling the plans that we were supposed to use. They were trying to use other firms, cheaper plans or different plans, and all of that debacle led to this bridge collapse. And it was an improper it was, it, the project was improperly managed from a financial perspective, and so that affected the actual building of it, which led to the collapse of it. What's the moral of the story here? If it's not already obvious, the moral of the story is that we can face disaster in our lives if we mismanage money. Now, you might say, well, that's a bit hyperbolic, talking about a bridge collapse. How does that relate to my personal life? Like, if I mismanage my personal finances, it's not going to, you know, kill dogs on a bridge or cause massive mayhem for 10 years. Uh, It won't really do that, will it? Well, actually, not so fast. Um, If we mismanage our personal finances, it can lead to a number of terrible things in our lives. It's led some people into bankruptcy. It's led some people into imprisonment. It's led some people into homelessness. And actually, for people who specifically work in the financial sector, there's so much pressure around money and performance with money that those people are one and a half times more likely to die by suicide than the, than the average groups. So how we think about money, how we handle our money, can have massive implications for our own well-being and for the well-being of those who know us and who, we're, uh, who are our family members or those that we, we our friends. Let's pray, and then let's read God's word. Jesus, we pray that you would help us today. Help us to get your vision for how we should handle your money, the money that you uh, give us the responsibility to steward. Help us to go deep on this. Help us to uncover any faulty thinking that we might have, any temptations that we have around money, any bad habits we have around money. Lord, bring them to the surface, free us of them, and help us to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke 16. Talking about Jesus. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. The immediate implication from one of the immediate implications from this parable from Jesus is that when you get money, when you have money, you have to manage it. You have to order it. You have to bring some responsibility to it. And the more you have of it, that means the more order that it needs to have, the more management needs to be conducted over the, the, the resources, the possessions, the money that we have. Now, it's, as we've said in previous weeks, it's not wrong to have more. This is a very wealthy, uh, successful, rich businessman. He's got a lot more. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, the more you have, the more you have to manage it, the more you have to put it into order, the more intentional you have to be about it. If you don't have a lot, it's a lot simpler to deal with those things. The more it grows, the more you have, the more complex it becomes. It becomes. It's not right or wrong to have more or less, uh, but our response to it uh, really matters. So we're told this parable by Jesus of this rich, wealthy man, and he's so rich and so wealthy um, that he's able, we're not sure what other business ventures he has, but he's definitely in the lending business. He's definitely giving people loans, and people are expected to pay that back with some interest on it, different resources that he's loaned out. And uh, he has you know, enough business around this that he has to hire a manager in order to take care of a lot of his affairs. It's more than he can handle. He's got an employee who is conducting these things and managing the, uh, these affairs for him. And so it proves the point to us. It shows the point that, uh, that you have money in your life. You've got to bring it to order. Uh, essentially, money, and this should help us reframe money. When we receive money, when we earn it, or we're given it, or we win it, however we, we find it, I found a $20 bill one time, I uh, wish that would happen more often, but it was, it was under the dirt somewhere randomly, I was like, this is amazing, I wish this would happen more often, but it's not a strategy for life. Um, but when you get money, you, it, in our flesh, in our, in our weakness, we, we, we can kind of do a few things, we can start thinking about the things we can spend it on, we think, about wow, this gives me leverage, gives me power, gives me whatever, like I can, you know, gives me freedom, uh, gives me security, we have all those kind of feelings and thoughts. Uh, and the Bible does tell us that, you know, uh, money grows wings and flies away, that you can lose money in a, in a second, um, that that happens. But instead of thinking about money in terms of having that, that, those kind of carnal feelings about money, here's the, the right way to think about money. When money comes into my life, I'm not, I'm not just simply receiving money, I'm receiving responsibility. When I receive money, I'm receiving responsibility. Now, some people love this. Some people are like, they're organized people. You love crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and, and planning things. You're like, oh, this is awesome. I love, you know, yeah, I want to, you know, you're an accountant or something. You know, you're in the financial sector. You just, you love organizing, love money, love all that stuff. That's wonderful. God bless you. I wish I was more like that myself. Uh, but that's not a lot of people and that's not everybody. Some people, they hear this and they shudder. They say, this is, this is not my bag. This is not for me. This is... I, I, I don't know, I hate the, the idea of having greater responsibility. The more, you know, I, I like the idea of, of, of having more and earning more and being more generous, that's great. But the responsibility that comes with it, man, that's a headache. That's hard to, to deal with. But what we're learning here from the parable that Jesus tells is, is that if you receive income, you cannot avoid 
stewarding that income. In fact, if we don't bring order to our stuff, then our stuff will order us around. And in fact, we can look at our lives and we can look at the way we use money and use possessions, and it's a perfect reflection of our own inner state of mind, our own inner heart. So you see this even on, uh, if you've ever watched any hoarding shows. Maybe you're a hoarder. Maybe it's hard. I, I hang on to stuff too long. My wife's really good at getting rid of stuff. And I learned from her. She's always te- trying to teach me that. I'm, I'm terrible. I hold on to stuff. But if you look at your life and you look at how much order do I have in my possessions and my things, that's a reflection of a, either an orderliness in my own thinking or a disorderliness in my own thinking. The way that we, that's why some people's lives are structured in certain ways and other people's lives are, you know, a little bit different. And there's no right or wrong way exactly to order our lives or to, you know, how much money we have or exactly how we use it. There's different expressions because they're all different. But the fact of the matter is that you can discern what's going on the inside by how you use things and how we operate in, in, our, in our lives. So just take a look at your what you spend money on, take a look at how you organize things and you say, that reveals how I think. It reveals kind of what's going on on the inside. Now looking at this, and Jesus says it in verse 13, right? Very famous verse. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So either one is controlling you, either God is in control of your life and, then, and therefore money is subservient or money controls your life and therefore actually God is kind of subservient to that in terms of Obviously, he's not in reality, but in our own actions and our own attitudes, um, we're, we're kind of shortchanging God, as it were, and allowing money to rule us. When we look at the, the, the dishonest manager in this parable, what we see is we see that we're told, uh, hey, he's wasting your possessions. This is what the rich man discovers. And he goes to the manager. He says, you know, I found this out. You're wasting my possessions. You're, this is what you're doing. And so he, he has a big consequence to it. He's fired uh, for this. And what we learn, what we see in this, we see is that God really frowns upon being wasteful and upon being careless. And it's not just in this passage, actually many passages in the Bible that God really frowns upon this. I've got three examples for us here of how God frowns on carelessness and wastefulness. The first one is at the feeding of the 5,000. So when Jesus has this miracle, he multiplies the bread and the fish, at the end of it, if you remember what he, what he says, he says, hey, gather up what's left over that nothing might be wasted. Jesus, even though he had the miracle to make this, to multiply this bread and this fish, he, even what he has made, he's saying, well, let's not waste what has been, has, has been provided for. Uh, the second one is the, the story of the prodigal son or the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, when the son you know, borrows his or takes his inheritance ahead of time, and goes off in lavish living and wastes it. And he repents. He has to turn from that and repent for living this wasteful, lavish life, just living this crazy lifestyle. And so the, again, the Bible's frowning upon this. This is not the way to live. He had to repent from that and turn from that and come back to his father's house and come back to a relationship with his father. And then the third place we see this is with the sluggard's uh, vineyard in Proverbs, where it says what, you know, it describes what it looks like when you walk past the sluggard's vineyard and the weeds have grown up and, and the wall is broken down and, and, and the, the, the farmland is in disrepair because, well, the sluggard is lazy and hasn't taken care of things. And so the weeds have grown up and now their farm is not producing and so they're in poverty. They're, uh, you know, so the Bible paints this picture in many places. These are just three examples, but it paints this picture of, hey, it's, it's really not good to be wasteful and careless with the money and the possessions that God blesses us with, that God gives to us. So God wants us to direct our affairs and direct our money and our resources in a way 
that use it to meet the needs we have and to meet the needs of others, using it in generous and, 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 and you know, Godward ways. And that if we don't do that, what that leads to is that leads to hurting ourselves and others. If we do it well, it leads to blessing ourselves and blessing others. And if we do it poorly, it leads to harming ourselves and harming others. So it really matters how we do this. Now, let me just add a point here that waste can be subjective. It can be a little, there is a little bit of gray here. So we've got to be careful that we're not unfairly judging others because there can be a bit of a perception issue. There are some things that are clearly wasteful, um, but we have to be really, really careful that we're looking at, and different people have different consciences on this, and sometimes you're not going to avoid waste. Sometimes you make mistakes, right? It's not intentionally being careless, but you just made a mistake. So the important thing is, am I learning from my mistakes? And also, you're going to have excess at times. You're going to have more or use more than you intended to or that you knew you should have. Like, that's just going to happen. So it's not inherently evil or sinful. We, I don't want anyone to walk away from this saying, like, oh my gosh, I can't ever you know, accidentally use too much you know, ever again. It's like, no, no, no. The, the, we're looking at the heart behind this. We're looking at the spirit behind this. And we're looking at managing our affairs as best we can, as best we can prepare, as best we can plan for. But in doing it with the wrong heart, in doing it in a self-centered way, in a self-enriching way, uh, in a way that's less generous to others, there is great warning here. And in, in this passage, what, what Jesus, as he tells this parable, as he tells this story, there's a huge consequence for the dishonest manager. The guy gets fired. Anyone been fired before? Being fired is not fun. As this is a, you know, Jesus is painting, hey, this is, this is not something that you just get a slap on the wrist for or just someone's disapproval of. Like, you're going to lose your livelihood. This is going to be on your record that this happened. This is a, a massive consequence to you. It reminds me of a, uh, a story I heard several years ago. My in-laws um, started a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And as part of that church ministry, they also started a consignment store uh, that they would uh, use to kind of reach the community with and they would employ people. And, um, and still, they've moved away since, but that's all still running. It's an amazing ministry that they started. And there was a young man in their church and uh, they wanted to invest in this young man and, and, and disciple him and grow him. And so they actually ended up giving him a job at their consignment store. And they trained him on their computer system and how to use it. And they had this legacy system. They said, hey, we're, we're getting rid of this. We're phasing this out. Don't use this. Use the new system. Well, they found out he started, using, he started using the legacy system, even though they clearly told him not to. So I had to sit him down, give him a warning, and say, don't use this. This is a defunct legacy system. No one's using this anymore. We've still got some information we've got to pull out of it, but it's not for you not to be used. Well, they then discover him using it again, even after they sat down. So they have to sit down and give another warning. This happens three times. And they're like, what is the deal with this guy? Like, we're making this super clear. So they, they end up, they have to sit him down and they have to fire him. And they're really worried about firing him. It's a complicated thing because they're you know, uh, he's like, he's part of our church family and we, we love this guy and we're trying to help him. But also he's an employee of, of this consignment store that we have that's part of our, an extension of our ministry. And, we, you know, we've got to do the right thing in this situation. It would be, in, in, in the story of, of, of this uh, dishonest man, manager, it would have been an injustice not to have fired this guy. You can't just be, you know, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, you know, you made a few mistakes. Like, we'll let you off the hook. It's like, no, you are intentionally robbing other people. You're being dishonest. You're wasting all this stuff. This is not a good situation. So with the situation with this young man, they, they fired him. 
And it was terrible. It was awful. They thought, is he going to leave the church? What's going to happen? Are we going to still remain friends with him? What's going to go? What's going to happen? This and he, and, and he was able to go and find himself another job. And he came back to them after a short while. And he sat down with them and he thanked them for firing him. He said it was one of the hardest things that's ever happened to him. He was embarrassed and, and just, you know, ashamed of himself that he had just blazonly and just willfully just continually disregarded their instruction. And he said it was, but it was the thing he needed. He said if he hadn't had that consequence, if he hadn't been held accountable to his role and what he needed to do, he said he, said he, just, he just would have missed what it means to actually be an employee, what it actually means to be under somebody else's authority and actually do the things I've been employed to do and follow those things. He said, I would never have really seen that and learned it and realized how important that is. And so even though it was so hard, I com you know, he commended them for it and thanked them for doing it. There are big consequences when we are wasteful, when we're dishonest, when we're not managing our affairs or our responsibilities properly. There's big consequences to it. And for this rich man in this parable, he can't be as generous to people. He can't be um, as thoughtful as he would want to be in terms of helping people in need because his possessions are being wasted so much. Now, the response here is pretty amazing um, with this dishonest manager. This, this parable, though, I would say is greatly misunderstood. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a bizarre parable, actually. It's probably one of the most misunderstood parables that Jesus ever told because it sounds like he does something dishonest, doesn't it? It sounds like he, he just finds these people who owe debts and then he like cuts them in half or whatever, reduces them, and then he's praised for it. You think this doesn't add up? Doesn't this sound wrong? Is it sound like he's doing something else wrong? Let me explain probably what's going on here. This dishonest manager, one of the, the things that he probably did was the loans that his employer had given out he probably added extra onto that in terms of what they owed back. So, so the, the rich man himself would have had some interest on it, um, but now the, the dishonest manager is then greatly inflating those amounts. So what people owe is maybe even double of what they had borrowed in the first place. And so people are trapped in this debt that they have, and the dishonest manager being extremely greedy with this. And so in going to each person that owes money, He's saying, hey, how much do you, do you owe? And they're, they're telling him the amount. He says, well, take it down to this. What he's probably doing is probably cutting off all the fat, all the extra that he had added in the first place and saying, just repay what you owe the rich man, uh, my, my previous employer. Just pay back what you owe him. So, then, so he's winning favor with each person because he's greatly reducing their debts. They're like, this is great. This has helped me out. But also because their debt's been cut in half or been reduced to what it should have been, uh, maybe they can pay up more quickly or they can pay more towards it more immediately. So now the rich man is now generating revenue. He's getting his, his resources back that he'd lent out. So this, even though this dishonest manager had been doing this, being very wasteful, very careless and very self-centered, he's now got this move where he's winning favor with, with, the, with both sides of this. And it's, it's an amazing reaction, amazing response. And then Jesus, of course, um, and the, in the parable, the way Jesus tells it is that he's commended as being shrewd. This is a shrewd way to respond to this. And then Jesus gives us the principle of it. And of course, the principle is this for us, is don't use your stuff, don't use your resources to get stuff, don't use the money that you have just to accumulate more or to make your life more 
comfortable or cozy or don't just use it for yourself. Like take care of your needs and it's okay to have some nice things, but, but, but use your money, use your, your resources for people. Bless and serve people. It's not a waste to invest in other people. In fact, it says, you know, uh, the dishonest manager does this because he says, well, hopefully people will receive me into their houses. I'm not very employable. He, he obviously, he has something, he's, he's kind of weak. He, he's not, he wouldn't be very good at manual labor. So he's like, well, I, I've lost my accounting job. I'm good with numbers, but I've lost my accounting job because I was wasteful with it. So what am I going to do? What if I win favor with these people? Maybe um, they'll put me up. Maybe they'll help me out. And so Jesus takes that a step further and he actually says that people might, um, the phrase he uses is they welcome you into the eternal dwellings. And so the amazing idea about money is this. If you use your money, if you don't use, instead of using your money to get more stuff or just to build up your life in a, and to, to be self-centered about it, if you use it towards investing in people and blessing people and helping those in need and using it in that regard, that's the way God wants us to use it, there are eternal repercussions for this. That, there is, that there's friendships to be won now and connections to be won now, and community to be built now, and to be enjoyed now as we do that, but also into eternity. That, that, that people will welcome you into their eternal dwellings, that there is an eternal outworking of the way that we use our money and our possessions today. What vision Jesus gives us for how we're to use our stuff. Now he uses this phrase also here, he says, uh, talks about the sons of light. You notice that phrase there, he talks about the sons of light. Um, and he's talking about Christians there, and Jesus makes this point that he's saying that the, peop, you know, the sons of this world or the people in this world sometimes can be more shrewd with how they think about money and finance than Christians can be. Uh, that's, that's a, bit of a little bit of a, a slap in the face from Jesus. Like, all right, Jesus, you know, you could be a little softer about this one, but he's saying sometimes Believers need to learn to be shrewd like this. Learn to do things that win favor on all sides. Learn to handle their money and use their money in a way that invests in people, that wins their relationship, wins their friendship, even for eternity. Now let's get practical on this. Let's jump into some practicalities. Each of these sermons, I feel like the first part is kind of like expounding the, the scripture and setting up the principle, and then the second part is all practical, and we're going to dive into some practicalities. You guys ready? for this. Hopefully my brain doesn't malfunction and say the wrong thing. So what does the Bible tell us here about, about managing our expenses today? Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, 21 verse 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The Bible wants us to have a plan. God wants us to have a plan as it relates to our money and our possessions. God is a huge planner. Is the biggest plan, the plan of salvation, of Jesus coming. The whole Bible is this story of this plan that God is implementing and bringing about with pr predictive prophecies, predicting Jesus, and then Jesus coming and fulfilling those things and salvation coming to us. This is an amazing way that God has planned history out and he's working through creation. And God wants to call us into his plans and help us to plan better. If we don't, it's like the old classic Bible verse, you know, that if, if, if you don't, uh, what is it? If you, <laughs> if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Not a Bible verse. That was a joke. <laughs> it was supposed to be really funny, but I, I messed it up. All right. <laughs> if we're hasty 
and we give into impulse expenditure and or, or impulse purchases, we're going to lose out in the long term. Instead, we want to be thoughtful and, and thinking about the future and planning for what is to come. If we don't, if we go without a financial plan, then what's going to happen to us is when temptation comes, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be much more tempted by it because we haven't decided where our dollars are going to go. This is the way you, you manage money is you decide ahead of time, this is where my dollars are going to go. If you decide, if you have a plan ahead of time, this is where my dollars are going to go, then when temptation comes to misuse it or mismanage it or be wasteful with it or careless with it, you're far less tempted to do that because you say, well, I, I need this money for these things. And if I use it for something else, then I'm going to go without these other things. That's the power of having a plan. And honestly, it's got to be a written plan. If you don't write down a plan, you don't have a plan. Do you know that, right? If you don't write down a plan, you don't have a plan. I've got three big principles today for us of how to manage money. They're going to come up one at a time. The first one is to, is motivation. Don't bring the others up yet, but we're going to go through motivation, buckets, and, um, and then uh, rhythm. But the first one is motivation. Motivation. If you can take notes on this stuff, great. If you've got a pen and paper, take notes. If not, you can, this, is all on, this is all on our YouTube channel, all on iTunes podcast. You can re-listen to it if you want to review it again. I start with motivation because one of the problems is that you, get, you can get inspired about money. You can get motivated. You say, oh, yeah, I've got to get it in order. I've got to get it together. I've got to you know, figure it out. You, you, you hear a talk. You hear a sermon. You read some scripture. You, you listen to Dave Ramsey. Whatever it is that happens, and you're like, yeah, I've got to get motivated to do this. And... But then Monday morning comes, or those stresses come, or those challenges come, and you don't feel motivated like you did in that moment. And so here's, here's the next level way of thinking is, we have to become responsible for our own motivation. We have to become responsible for our own motivation. So you have to pull out every trick in the book to try to incentivize yourself and motivate yourself to do the things you need to do with your money at the point in which you're supposed to do them. That's the key to success in life, really, and living, you know, following God and avoiding temptation is to say, I'm supposed to make certain decisions at certain moments, and I, if I plan ahead and work ahead well enough, in those moments when I'm tempted to not do that, I've set myself up for success, and God's Spirit is here to empower me and help me with this, to plan accordingly. Do you brush your teeth every day? If you don't, please start doing that. Do you shower most days, hopefully? Do you get dressed every day? Most of the time, that hap- that's what I do most of the time. We've got these habits. We all, there are already things we're doing every day or every week or every month. There are already things we've built into our lives because we know they have value. We know they're important. Money is another one that we can add into our lives. Managing our money and looking at our money and, and tracking it. And we've got to find a way to motiva- motivate ourselves to do this. Now, we've got to avoid what's called the willpower trap. You heard of this before, the willpower trap. We have this, this false idea that we'll have the willpower to do it, to, to, to do the right things at the moment that we should do them. And we don't realize that, that the motivation and the willpower that we have is a finite resource each day. So you'll notice as the day goes on, as the evening gets later, you make worse choices. You ever notice that? 
You make worse choices. So that's where binging shows comes in really bad, right? You, binge, you watch one episode, you're like, you've got to watch the next episode. You know, then you've got to watch another episode. Oh, there's enough time. I won't be too tired in the morning. And then, but then you're more tempted to eat more food as well as you're doing that because you're more tired and your willpower is diminished. And dim so as the day goes on, willpower gets diminished and diminished and diminished. And then I'm, making, and then I'm watching infomercials and I'm buying stuff that I shouldn't buy on infomercials. Now, that only happens once you get like 70, 80 uh, years old, I think. That's what I've been told. So we, the willpower trap is we have to be honest about that and say, you know, I shouldn't be making financial decisions or planning to do these things when my willpower is going to be at its lowest. I need to do it when it's going to be at its highest. I need to capitalize on that ability to make good choices and make good uh, decisions. And so we've got to pull out every trick in the book. So I've got to make myself accountable. So, you know... How, how can I leverage my relationships? How can I leverage my connections to help keep me accountable to this? How can I you know, give myself consequences if I, if I fail to do it? How can I give myself rewards if I do keep up with my financial habits that I want to form? Uh, how can I build barriers and bridges in my life? How can I make certain behaviors I know I shouldn't be doing? How can I make them more difficult? How can I put obstacles in my way between me and those things? And also the things I should be doing, how can I make those things easier to do? How can I make the steps less? Like This is about working on your life, not just in your life, because you live in your life. You're always living in your life. This is about getting really smart and say, I want to work on my life. I want to craft my life and create my life and my rhythms in a certain way where I am stewarding things where my motivation is maximized, where I'm, I'm positioned to make the best decisions that I can make. Now, the second big principle for managing our money, other than motivation, is buckets. Let's talk about buckets. Say, what the heck is this? Buckets. Here is, don't miss this, this is the probably, other than Jesus and believing in Jesus, that's the most important thing today. This is the second most important thing today. Get this idea into your head. The way to be successful with your personal money is you have to break it down into smaller amounts, smaller categories, smaller buckets. This is, I'm going to give you the underlying principle here, and I'll go through some examples of different ways that we can do this. If you, check in, if you log into your checking account and you look at your lump sum of money, like how much money, you know, I've got an opportunity to buy something, I want to do something, oh, this thing coming up, like trying to figure out if I've got the money to do it. If you log into your account and you look at the lump sum of your money, that doesn't tell you how much money you have. Because your mind can't keep track of, well, I've got this debt I need to be paying off. I've got this uh, responsibility coming up. I've got this thing coming up at the end of the month that I've got to pay for. I've got these bills that are going to be going out. I've got this other thing I've got to do. Your mind can't keep track of all that stuff. So if you just look at the lump sum and think that's what I have, then we're deceiving ourselves. We're being extremely foolish about it. So the way to handle money is you've got to find a way to break the big lump sum, it's an unmanageable reality, break it down into smaller buckets. So you have different buckets for different things. So you go, hey, I've got my buckets for my bills. So that, that's, that's my bucket there. That's how I pay my bills out of this bucket. I've got a bucket for my travel. That's, 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 this bucket's got this much in it for travel. And then I've got, I've got another bucket over here. This is for clothes. Because, you know, you've got to wear clothes, Right? This is for grocery. I've got a bucket for groceries over here. This is, my this is how much I'm going to spend. On I've, got, I've got a bucket for entertainment each month. This is how much I'm going to spend on having some fun, hanging out with my friends and doing fun things. So I've got, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got an amount for that. And we're breaking it down um, in this way. And then what we do is ahead of time, we predetermine how much money goes into each bucket ahead of time. And some buckets are... 
um, short-term, some are long-term. Some get used every month. They go down to zero every month. Others build up over time for future things. All right, this is very... I know this might be rudimentary to some people, but we've got to go through this. All right, This is the basic function of how this works. Then you have prioritization of those buckets. So you fill the buckets first that are your needs. And the buckets that you fill last are your wants, the things you want. And you have to get very clear on the difference between what you need and what you want. I want that new car. I don't need that new car. I want to eat out at restaurants. I don't need to eat out at restaurants. Difference between wants and needs. So I prioritize. I put the money I need for all the, you know, I need shelter. I need food. I need clothing. I need health care. I've got medication I need. Whatever it might be. Those things come first. Then all the things that are, I have wiggle room with, all the extra things that I are wants, those come last. So I fund the things I need first and then fund the things I, I want last. Then you ration you ration the buckets. Here's how it works. So let, let's take entertainment, for example, because something like bills is usually a fixed amount. Something like entertainment, something we have more wiggle room with. Let's say you put X amount of dollars in entertainment bucket for the month. But in the first two weeks of the month, you blow it all. You have a lot of fun. And all that money is gone. Then what do you do? You got two more weeks of no fun. What are you going to do? This is how a budget saves your life. This is how it helps. Well, Jesus saves your life, but this is how a budget helps your life. Is you say, I'm going to do other things for the next two weeks. Because I had predetermined that I was going to spend this amount of money on entertainment. I blew it all. So I'm, I'm going to go without. I'm going to say no. My friends want to go out and say, sorry, I'm out of cash on that. This comes up, sorry, next month. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to watch a show, go for a walk, do something else that is free or I have money on a gift card or something. I'm going to do something else. And the cool thing about this is that you know, any given month, you're like, hey, I've got a big thing coming up at the end of the month that is going to be a bigger expense in terms of entertainment. Then you wait for those first two or three weeks. You say, I barely spend any of it. And then at the end of the month, I use a lot of it for that because I knew it was coming. That's how it works. Now, there's only, I know only, only know of, of about three different ways of actually creating Money buckets, as it were. We're going to go through these. We're going to go through these. A, B, C. I think these are coming up. Three ways to create money buckets. So A is with a written or digital budget. Now, I've got to tell you, for most people, this is not a lot of fun. Most, some of you are already feeling anxious about this or like, this is ridiculous. Like, so where you have a paper budget where you, you've got your columns and rows and you've got your amounts and you just track everything you spend, you write it down and you tally it up and you calculate how much you... That's one way to create buckets. Or you have an app for it. So you have, there's, I think there's the Mint app or Every Dollar or different ways to sometimes automate some of these things. And you, that's what you do is you track it. So you, you still log into your bank account and see the big number there, but you're kind of creating um, virtual categories, as it were, either on paper or in, uh, digitally on a computer. Or you have a spreadsheet. You just literally just use a spreadsheet. You're on Google Spreadsheet or whatever, Excel, and you've got your categories and you, you're tracking it all there. That's one way to do it. Some people do it that way. Heather and I have tried that over the years, we'll start it, we'll do it for a few months, and then something will happen, we won't keep up with it, and we'll scrap it, and then start over again, and we've probably scrapped and started over those budgets like dozens of times over the years, and for some reason, that's just really hard for us to keep up with. Anyone else on the same page with that? Hard to keep up with? Really hard to keep up with. Don't worry, I'm going to solve your problem today. I've got a problem solver. I'm a big problem solver. I'm going to solve your problems today. The second way I know of of doing this is with a cash envelope system. Now, 
Yeah, so this is actually really great. If, you have, if you've never done this before, I would encourage at least do this for a little bit to build the discipline of spending money. Because you feel the pain. What you do is you literally get envelopes, paper envelopes. You write on the front of the envelope what it's for. So this is bills, or this is clothing, or this is groceries, or this is entertainment. And you take the cash out that you get paid, and you break it up into those envelopes. Those are your buckets. And the, power, the, the upside of this is that you are forced, and obviously there are things you can't pay for in cash, so it only works in certain categories. It's, it's, it's always going to be a kind of, in our day and age, it's going to be a kind of a combination of things, right? But there are some categories that this really works for. The upside of this is that you feel the pain of spending the money. You, you, yeah, exactly, you see it. Thank you, Amanda. Everyone, Amanda, I just, yes. Amanda went through Financial Peace University, and because she went through that, she was able to buy a house. So, yes, yeah. So there we go. We shall you share your testimony at some point, actually. So it's, it's powerful because then you say, well, I've got to go to the grocery store. Then I look in that envelope and say, how much money do I have? That determines how much I spend. And so I take that amount with me that I want to spend. I've got, I've got to go buy some new clothes. I look in my clothing envelope. How much do I have? It forces you to stick with that. Now, the downside to it, which we discovered, we did this for a little while, um, is I personally don't like having a lot, that much cash around. It makes me really nervous. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to get robbed, uh, whatever the, the concerns are. And also, the temptation is, if you're not disciplined enough, you just rob from different envelopes. You move it around. Now, you can do that in the first system as well, right? If you've got, if you've got it in a spreadsheet, you're like, well, I, I really want that extra $100 to do that thing I really wanted to do. I'm just going to steal it from my my car category, because I'm sitting my car. There's always certain categories you want to steal from. Categories that have bigger amounts than that you're building up over time. Like, I'll just rob a little bit from that for this thing. And then we're defeating the purpose. If we're doing that, then we're actually defeating the purpose of having a budget and managing our money. The third way of doing this, which is something that, this is how Heather and I do it, is digital envelopes. I'm going to try and explain this to you. This isn't for everyone. These are the only three ways I know of having money buckets. If you know another way, let me know. The digital system is like, just like the cash system, cash envelopes, except instead of that, you basically use different bank accounts. So Heather and I do this. We have several bank accounts set up across different banking institutions. And then what happens is there's zero fee um, checking accounts. When I get paid, my money automatically gets broken up what we've determined how it gets uh, put into those different bank accounts, all right? And then what that means is we have several debit cards and we have labels on them so that we know what they're for. And then at the point of purchase, we're like, oh, it's groceries, okay, this is my grocery card, okay. You know, we've got a healthcare account as well. So it's like, okay, I'm buying a prescription, right, I'm gonna use this one for the prescription, which also helps us with our taxes as well. Um, that you, have, you, have, you have different cards for different things. Now, you still have to, um, you have to log into your bank account to make sure there's money there. The, the, the beauty of this is that you don't want to get overdrawn. So you, you don't overspend. This is what I love about this system. Now, there are, the downside, the big downside to this system, doing it this way, is that it's a, bit, it's a lot of work up front to get it set up. And when I first, I had the idea to do this, and I shared it with my wife, and she was like, this, this you know, it, 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 both of us struggle with the idea of doing this because it sounded wrong to have lo lots of different checking accounts. It sounded like, are we doing something wrong? Having lots of different, like, are you supposed to do this? Are you just supposed to be loyal to one banking institution your whole life? And no, actually, you're not. Um, so we got lots of different, you know, zero um, fee checking accounts for different banks. And um, now, so all the hard work is on the front end, getting it set up. And then on the back end, it's very easy to manage. There's very little maintenance to it. Um, you still have to log in. You still have to check it. We have, we have one for our dates. When we're going to go out on a date, we've got a card for that. 
So we log in and we say, how much money do we have on it? And we say, okay, that's what we can do. Or, hey, we need to have a free date this week because we, we spent too much last week or whatever, whatever it might be. And so we, we, we have it in separate buckets and we, we track it. The thing I really love about this is that it's really hard to rob from other categories. Because any time that you want to transfer money between accounts, you're like, it's going to take about three days to do this. So it kind of forces you to have to say no to things, which is, when it comes to money, is the biggest discipline to learn, is to say, I have to have the discipline to say no to that. If I say no to that now, I can say yes to more later on. But I have to say, learn to say no now. Now, that's, that's our... Um, that's our, our digital uh, envelope system that we use. It's not for everyone. I've explained this to a few of my friends that we do it this way, and they're like, that just sounds like too much. I, I can't even imagine doing that. And I'm like, listen, if you get it set up, I think it'll work great for you, but if not, that's fine. You still have to log in and check it. You still have to keep on top of your money. You know, there's no maintenance-free way of tracking your money. That doesn't exist. Um, it's one of these ways. It's one of these ways. Now, let's take a step and apply this. Go ahead and grab out that Connect card you have. Go ahead and grab that out. I want us to, to think about how to take a step and apply some of this stuff today. So on the back of this Connect card, there's a comment section here. And this applies actually to point three. Point three is uh, rhythm of the, of the uh, three principles. So motivation buckets and rhythm. This is um, the most important or, or the third most important thing, principle that we have to get into our minds is that we have to have a rhythm. We have to have a regular meeting with ourselves where we are looking at our money, where we're taking account of it. Let me ask you, are you glad that the airports do maintenance, uh, regular maintenance on the airplanes? Really glad for that. Would you fly in an airplane if you doubted that they did regular maintenance on the airplane? No, we wouldn't fly on the airplane. Um, if you own a vehicle, do you get the oil changed regularly? You do, don't you? Do you if, if the tires are getting bald, what do you do? You, you take it in, you get new tires, right? There's maintenance that has to happen. Uh, you have a doctor, I hope. Everyone has a doctor. You have to go to the doctor and get, you know, get check, checked out every so often, right? You need medication. You've you got something going on. You gotta, your, your body needs maintenance. You know, you, do you trim your nails? Anyone trims their nails? Some people bite their nails. Any biters in the room? I'm a bit of a, I'm sorry, I am a bit of a biter. Okay. But either way, they get, they get taken care of. So <laughs> it's maintenance, all right? It's maintenance. It's a plan. It's not a good plan, but it's a plan. The reason we need a regular rhythm, we need a meeting with ourselves. You want to put it on the calendar. You want to do everything you can to protect it. You need a regular meeting with yourself to look at your money is to keep yourself accountable. You could have double charges on your bank account. You could have uh, fraudulent charges that your bank doesn't catch. You could be paying for subscriptions that you're not using anymore. You could be like this dishonest manager, being careless and wasteful of God's resources. A regular, a regular time, a regular rhythm with yourself of looking at your money helps you avoid all that stuff, helps you maximize your generosity. And I've got to tell you, it relieves a lot of stress. If you don't know where your, where your money's at, it's stressful. It's really stressful. And it's painful because when needs arise or when there's opportunities to give, you're like, I want to give more, I want to do more, but I'm stressed because I don't, I don't really have a handle on my money, so I don't really know how much I can give. 
I want to give, but I'm held back by my giving, by my, my, my mismanagement of it. So you've got to find a time where, and this is what we're going to write on our Connect card here, you want to find a time that is least likely to be hijacked. Monthly is the absolute minimum. Biweekly is decent. I would say weekly. I would, this is my advice. Is I don't have a Bible verse for this. This is just my um, encouragement to people. You, at some point, you've got to have some kind of rhythm to this, some kind of regular meeting with this. Heather and I do this um, Monday mornings at 6.15 a.m., most Mondays, not every Monday, but we do it most Mondays. And uh, we, we do it at that time. I know it's early, but we do it at that time because... Almost nothing else is going to happen at that time to stop us from doing that. All right? There's no one calling us. There's nothing happening with our kids. There's nothing going on. It's like, all right, there's nothing else going on. This is the time to do this. So here's what I want us to write on our cards. If you, you know, if you already have this and you don't need to write this, but write down here, make yourself accountable to this. I will create a financial rhythm. Write that down. I will create, so you're going to make yourself accountable, a financial rhythm rhythm. Okay? And then I'm going to be, if you write that down, I'll, be, I'll get these in and I'll be praying for you. Everyone that writes that down, I'm going to pray for you that God's going to give you the power and the wisdom and the strength to write down and to, or to come up with a written plan. What is my financial rhythm going to be? Now, I want to uh, invite my wife up, actually, because as, as you start doing this, what you realize is, you realize, I've got to get more frugal. I've got to start pulling back on certain expenses. So Heather's going to come up and share with us some practical applications for spending less. Am I on? Okay. Um, all right. Yes. As Matt has said, we have been very hit or miss with this over the years, and we have learned a lot from other people. And um, we learned a lot from Dave Ramsey, but another person that we've learned a lot from is a really fun lady on YouTube named Jordan Page. So if you want more practical tips like this, she has like a million kids, and she knows what it is to stretch a dollar. So, and she's really funny. So look Jordan Page up on YouTube. Um, so practically, who wants to save $50 a week? I want to save $50 a week. What will save you $50 a week is only going to the grocery store once a week. It will. So um, this was new for me. We, I started doing this about a year ago, and... Um, it, you know, I, I wouldn't go to the grocery store a lot. be like, oh, I got I to gotta run by Target and pick this up. And, oh, yeah, I need that. And Target is a dangerous place. And you can easily, it is like a cheap Target run to spend 50 bucks at Target, right? Because you go through and you're like, oh, I need toilet paper. Oh, I need batteries of oh, this thing. And, and then you've spent like $85. And um, if you just make a commitment to not go to the store except once a week, you will save so much money. Um, uh, another one is to, um, all, all of these have to do with consumption. So another one is just to simply bring our own coffee. A, a coffee is running us about five bucks, um, a coffee. If you get a coffee a few times a week, that's 15 to $25 a week. That's what, 60 to hundred dollars a month. Um, and that is all, all, all things that either can go to paying off debt or, being generous. Another big thing also in consumption is just bringing your own food. And a lot of us aren't going into the office anymore. Um, but if you are going into the office, lunch can be easily 10 to $15 a lunch. You add that up over the course of a five-day week. Um, we had a buddy um, back in Kansas City when we lived in Kansas City, and um, he was working at a corporate 
office spending 15 to 20 dollars a week on lunch and he a day sorry a day um and that adds up to be a lot and he just thought you know what i'm going to i'm going to eat out on fridays with my buddies and i'm going to bring peanut butter and jelly and a loaf of bread and he saved a ton of money um just by just by uh taking his own lunch um and then the other thing, uh, I just wanted to say one other thing about the buckets, because that can, uh, this whole thing can be really overwhelming, guys. That's why we need each other. Um, we need, uh, we need, need people like Jordan Page and Dave Ramsey and other, there's really great budgeting programs. I love talking about budgeting, I, and we've messed up a lot, so um, come ask me questions. Um, but if you are totally overwhelmed by the whole thing, three buckets, you can start with three buckets. This is it. Bills. Housing, which includes all your consumables, your groceries, toilet paper, paper towels, all of those things, the things that you're going to use every month, and then other. And if you're in debt, other goes to paying off your debt. Or other can be entertainment, it can be whatever you want it to be, but you have to keep your roof over your head and you have to feed yourself and you really need toilet paper and shampoo and conditioner and things like that. <laughs> so if you want just a really, really, really simple budget, bills, housing, and other, and go from there. So start small, it's hard, but we're adults and we can do it. <laughs> All right, the amazing Heather Sweetman, everyone. So let's go back to our parable. Let's land the plane on this. Uh, this manager, as we've said, has a rude awakening. And he loses his livelihood. And as a, res as a result of this, he is now motivated. Now, it would be so nice, wouldn't it, if we had the motivation we need to make the changes we need before we have an emergency. Typically, it's the emergency that motivates us to make the change. Here's wisdom. Wisdom is looking at someone else's emergency and saying, I need to make a change right now, not wait for my own emergency. That's wisdom. If we could get a hold of wisdom, that's what we would do. So this manager has a rude awakening. But what does he do in response to that? Well, he sits down. He recalculates. He comes up with a plan. He responds immediately to it. And what he does is a complete reversal of what he had done before. Before, he was being very self-centered, very selfish, spending things on himself, exacting extra for himself and being wasteful and careless. And he does the exact opposite. He actually gives up all of the profits that he was hoping to get. And uh, he starts benefiting and blessing and, and being generous and, and helping other people, helping his, uh, his old employer getting more revenue back and helping the debtors um, actually have less debt. And so he's now he's turned his whole focus onto helping other people. And in doing that, he's then praised. He's then praised for doing that in this parable. And the encouragement to us is that we can, like this dishonest manager, we can sit down and very quickly make changes. See, it feels like such a barrier. It feels like such a challenge, but actually it doesn't have to take that long. And what does it say in the passage, verse 13? You cannot serve both God and money. So make a decision today. Am I going to serve God or do I want to continue to serve money? if I've been mismanaging money or some, my money or somebody else's money. The amazing truth in this parable is that even though there's a consequence for this dishonest manager, he is not rejected by God. And this shines the light of the gospel, the good news, right? The good news of God's grace, that even though there are consequences to our sin, we, still, we do live with the burdens and the consequences of certain sinful actions that God even though we have those consequences, he takes our judgment. 
And so we need to be grateful for two things. We need to be grateful that we are disciplined when we need to be disciplined, that we're fired when we need to be fired, that we learn, that we're taught those lessons. We need to be grateful for that, even though it's hard. Say, thank you, God. But we also need to be grateful that we're saved from judgment. That even though this dishonest, dishonest manager lived this way, what does Jesus say? He said he'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, that there's an eternal promise, an eternal hope for him, even in this story. This is the hope we have, that as we turn to Jesus, Listen, you can walk out of here and still be awful with money and not manage money and whatever. I hope that that's not the case, but that, if that happens, that's fine. The biggest thing, the most important thing that we have to wrestle with is this, is that there's a God in heaven who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, who we need to turn our lives over to. We need to, our lives need to be completely surrendered to him. Let's respond today. When you like and subscribe, this video reaches more people.